If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's essentially the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need on one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your pod right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your pod on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. hear you okay so let me say that Bridget McManus is a television host screenwriter producer director and award-winning performer she created and hosted two television shows for the logo network the award-winning comedy talk show brunch with Bridget and Bridget McManus presents that time of the month please welcome my guest Bridget McManus hi friend how um hi friend how 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 are all your pets and Everybody's your family? All four of my animals are within two feet of me right now, so everything is good. I have my my paint in here, and I was painting all day, so that's why I look like this. You look like you're on the Mary Tyler Moore show. I'll take that. I'll take that. What, I pull my hair back when I'm painting. What are you painting? So I do a live show on IG every day or weekdays at 3.30 and people send me pictures of their families or pets and I just paint them live. And so people um, get paintings, you can watch me paint it and then I send it to you uh, via the U.S. Postal Service because everyone should support the Postal Service. That is so cool and creative, Bridget. Thank you. So how can people contact you for their own personal? You can just find me on my Instagram, which is official Bridget McManus, and just DM me any picture you want, and I will tell you when I'm painting it, and I paint for an hour at 3.30 and 4.30, and I'll show you some pictures. Hold on, let me pull some pictures. Oh, I would love it. This is one of my paintings behind me, but this is is something else. But um, let me show you some pictures I painted. Okay. Okay, I'm just changing my filter. I'm black and white now. Let's see. Let's see. Okay, I'm coming back. So I got I got this amazing doggy, and I painted this. You can see. You can see. Oh my gosh! And I got a zillion other, and I paint them on cardboard so they can easily fit in the mail. You don't have to worry about shipping. It's easy and cheap. So people's pets and babies. Oh, I had I had no idea you were such a talented painter. Oh, thank you. That's nice. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun to do something creative because you know, as a stand-up comic as you are, um, people like to just tell you like what you're good at, what you're not good at. And so, for painting for me, it's just fun to do it. And it's like if you like it, great. If you don't, but it's 
it's uh, it's something very peaceful that I do that's also creative. Yeah, that's so great. And and what are you? Um, oh, uh, Jackie says Bridget is so talented. Oh, hi, Jackie. That's my friend from Texas. Hi, Jackie. Aww. What? Uh, so let me ask you these questions, okay, Bridget? Okay, okay, yes. I have some standard basic questions here for you. Okay. What sort of trauma have you overcome or pivoted out of, and how did you do it? What process did you use? So I'm sure a lot of people um, that are watching this or just in the world have had a Me Too moment, and I had a Me Too moment Um with someone that was kind of guiding me in my career. And I won't go into it because it's just a lot. But one of the things that they they were grooming me and doing all these things, one of the things they were doing was they were manipulating me with by criticizing me. And so it was a way of going, this is what's wrong with you, but I can make it better. So you need me, right? So oh. I found a way to make peace with criticism. And instead of being like throwing it off or being or rejecting it, or, or feeling bad about it. Instead, I learned to embrace criticism, and now I love criticism, and I take it really well now. And so it was a whole transformation, rather than backing away and not allowing myself to be an artist because it's not safe. Instead, I was like, no, I'm just going to step into it. So it's kind of been a revolution in my life. That's great. How did you, you. what was your process like of getting to that place with it? Um, it took a long time because I have a family that um, we love each other a lot, but we also kind of like talk and pick at each other a lot. And so um, I was guarded. And so I feel like sometimes when you have some kind of trauma, you can go two ways. You can go towards it or you can go against it. And instead, I just went full force. So I just started doing and trying new things. And if I wasn't good at it, then I went, okay, great. At least I tried it. So like I took French, I, I studied French for a year because I wanted to. And it was like, okay, that was fun, but I wasn't great at that. Like I do tarot cards, like stand up, obviously, like, as you know, being a stand-up comic, like you are going to fail to be stand up if you're a stand-up comic, because that's just how you start. Yeah. There's no way you're always going to have a beautiful, amazing set. Any comic that's like, oh my God, I killed every night. You're like, not, unless you've been doing it for 30 years, you're not killing it. So I just kind of was like, if I had an inkling to do something, I just was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Even like painting. Like I stopped painting when I was a kid because I wasn't good at it. And then when I was telling my wife about it, she was like, why don't you paint? I said, sure. So I started painting like 10 years ago and I've had art shows and now I paint for fun and it's, and it's been great. I love that because you're giving yourself permission to just be an artist and to, and to not, and to be imperfect. That's the whole thing. You know, I, I know so many creative people and they want to do this movie or they want to do this script or whatever it is, but they don't, they can't do it yet because it's not going to be perfect. And you can drive yourself crazy trying to make it perfect. And you're, you might never get it perfect, but all you have to do is try something because whatever you do, the next time you do it, it's going to be better because you've learned something. So it's just like, keep moving. So all the, I mean, the TV show that started my career was a show that I shot with a one one camera so there wasn't different angles one camera and it was like dipped to black editing and it was so popular online that it ended up being put on television and it was like not something that should have been a television show but it was all I had was I was living in a studio apartment after a terrible breakup and the only thing I had was my bed that doubled as my couch so I was like I guess it should be my set so how is it a set why would I interview people in bed so well, let's have it be a slumber party so my whole concept was just interviewing female celebrities and then we would have a slumber party and we would pillow fight which we end every episode. And so that was just like all I had. So I was like, well, I might as well just do it. And then that ended up launching my career. So 
keep it moving, you know. That's amazing. So you shot like a little pilot or the full series in your bed? I shot it and it was running online on one of Logos. Logos has a bunch of networks, you know, like MTV, Viacom, Logos, all under the same umbrella. So it was running on a, on a website that was geared towards women. And it became so popular and won a new now next award called best lesbian vlog ever vlog or whatever. And then they put it on television less than a year later. And so every Friday night at 2 AM after the reruns of the L word, my show was on. So it was just, and that's what started it. And then I ended up getting a show after that called that time of the month. And it was just, you know, all I, I was just doing what I have. So I tell people like, I tell filmmakers, Oh my God, once you start this year, right? Um, I always tell filmmakers like just, just start. Mm. This is Francine. Hi, is Francine. I wonder where my little baby boo is. Wait, one second. Okay, keep, keep, keep talking, Bridget. I, I'm saying that opinions on racism, well, my opinion on racism, racism is horrible. Racism is the worst thing ever. Racism is just, it, I, it's just mind-boggling. This is an amazing um, woman that's been doing, dedicated her life to racism and um, and talking about how it's, it's we are taught it, you know, it's, it, it's not who we are. We are all the same. We all die. We all, we're all exactly the same. Our, our blood all bleeds red and that we are taught uh, to be racist. Um, oh yeah, Francine Fisher, um, to divide us, you know. Oh my God, it's a, it's a pet party. Hi, that is a beautiful cat. Can I paint your cat? I would love it. I will absolutely paint your cat. This is my little chonky monkey Stardust. So beautiful. He's named after Ziggy Stardust, of course. Oh, I love that. Francine's named after John Waters' character. Hmm. Hi, baby. He's been sleeping, so that means he won't be sleeping tonight. He'll be pouncing on me going. What does he do? Does he dance on your head? What does he do? Meow. 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 That's a good impression. <laughs> I need to you add. I need what? to add cat impression to my repertoire. <laughs> meow, meow. It's like, it's, you know, I one of my cats is right under my feet right now. So, so you've obviously lured her in. So well, I'm lucky. I've got two cats, and they both wake up my wife, not me. So in the middle of the night, they will scratch her and wake her up, and I will just sleep. So if she goes out of town, they don't wake me up. That's that's amazing. Where do you um? Okay, so I got I I'm so impressed by your first series. So you shot that in your bed, and they aired what you shot in your bed on TV because on like television. so you had already made like twenty episodes or something, and then they just acquired it and played it. Um. So I had already I was doing a weekly show, and I wasn't taking any time off. So I did like eighty-seven episodes in like. And they were half-hour episodes, or, or sometimes longer. Um, and so I had done that in like a year and a half. And so what happened was, because Logo Television and Logo owned all these websites, it was like they they kind of uh, licensed it through that. So it was all kind of the same because it was back when, like, this is two thousand eight. So like online digital, there wasn't all these kind of like behind-the-scenes things that there are now. So it was kind of like a Internet uprise is what they called it. So they did this big launch, and um, it was kind of revolutionary for the website. And then other series came to follow, but I was the first one that did it. And it was weird to call or reach out to celebrities like Lena Headey and Kate McKinnon, like to say, like, "Hi, come to my shitty apartment in in Hollywood where you can't find parking, and climb into my bed, and let's have a pillow fight." You know, it was just kind of like, but but people did it. People did it. 
That's amazing, Bridget. So why did you stop doing it? You you got bored or you went on to your next series? I was producing my that's why I met my wife was doing that project. And so she was kind of our director, but there was it was one camera, there was no lighting. I mean, we were literally in our living room. Um so when it went on TV, I got a, a So you had all these people come to your bed, you made eighty seven episodes, then yeah. Logo made your second TV show as well. Yes, it was a, a show that was, instead of doing a weekly show, because it was hard to produce it by myself, by, with my wife and I, just the two of us, That because um, I was editing it too, and I was just booking it and anything we needed to do. We ended up having a makeup artist come to, you know, the bathroom or by a very small apartment. Um, uh, so I decided I wanted to just do something smaller, because our budget didn't change, so I decided to do a weekly show. So it was kind of like talk soup. So it was like I would cover what was going on in the world in this like half hour comedy series. It was called Bridging Vance Presents that time of the month. And then after less than a year of that, I was like, I just want to be doing stand-up full time. So I was touring and doing stand-up. And so I went and I did a bunch of resorts in Mexico. I went to Germany and Switzerland and France. And it was it was fun. It was really fun. That's fabulous. I want to do the resorts in Mexico. You can do the resorts in Mexico. I will. We'll make that happen if that is your dream. That's one of my one of my dreams, Bridget McManus. Also, I'm inspired that you met your wife while you were shooting your show. That's also a I dream met her of at mine. The comedy store. What? That okay? That is a total dream of mine to do creative projects with your muse slash um, love. So, tell me about how you guys met. So I was performing stand-up on um, Friday nights at the comedy store in the belly room. And um, I What show was that? It was the belly room show. It was a, meant so many years ago. It was Jerome Cleary's show. I don't remember what the name of it was. Okay. And, uh, oh, my friend Sal's on. Hi, Sal. Hi, Sal. Um, and so it was, uh, it was 9 o'clock on Friday nights in the belly room. And it would, you know, it would go until like 2 o'clock in the morning. And so I did an interview with this woman named Dara. And so we stayed in touch after that interview. And I reached out to her. I said, hey, I'm doing a show tonight. Do you want to come? And she's like, sure. She goes, can you get me two tickets? And so unbeknownst to me, she was bringing Carmen, my wife. And so I was at the venue and I heard my name be called because Dara called my name. And I turned around and I saw Carmen. And I, we had love at first sight. So that's why I was, can't believe you guys are talking about this day. We had love at first sight. And I knew the moment I met her, I was going to marry her. No question. We, everything faded away. The only person that was there was her. And I just was like, she's gorgeous. And I was so nervous. And I got on stage and my hand was shaking my, my microphone. And then somebody was heckling me and I just yelled at them. And then, and then I was fine. Cause I was like, okay, now I'm over it. So she thought I was funny and I thought she was gorgeous. And then we started working together for three months. And then as soon as that uh, little time period was over, we started dating. And six months after we started dating, we got married been together 12 years. Oh, amazing. What's the secret? You can't do anything except be yourself. Hmm. That's the secret. You can't do it. You're not doing anything wrong. You know, Carmen met, I think, I think you watch, we watch movies and we see people get married at 23 or 26. And you think that's what we're supposed to do. Like Carmen didn't marry me until she was 40. My friend Darren didn't get married until she was like 51. Like the idea that you're supposed to get married during this window. It's like, that's that's not always when you meet your person. And I think also, like, because we're gay and we didn't want children, there was no rush, like, I have to get married to have ch children because yeah. that there is a biological clock ticking. Yeah. So, and also, being a gay person back, you know, 
I've, I've been out since I was 14, gay marriage wasn't even an option. So it wasn't like I was racing to get married because there was no marriage. Yeah. So I had been in a lot of long-term relationships that I could have made it work, but it was just difficult versus when I met Carmen, I was like, oh, I can a thousand percent be myself and you can be yourself. And we leave each other alone. We let each other do whatever we the other person wants and we are each other's biggest fans i every time i do a series i've written a bunch of series that uh, is on a website called tellofilms.com and carmen is in every single one of my series she's always my muse i asked her ahead of time what kind of character do you want to play she wanted to be a jerk in a, in a certain series like a real creep and so she's a creep in that series another one i do a mockumentary series called mcmanus land about my life it's kind of like further enthusiasm and she's like the straight one she's the one that is like the audience loves her like when we, when we did press many, many years when we did this series, people would just come to her and say how much they loved her. And I was like, okay, that's how I wrote it for you. But like, <laughs> come on, you guys. But I'm supposed to be the neurotic pain in the ass. And so she comes across as like the one that's always talking to the camera being like, I'm dealing with this. And everybody, you know, everybody loved her. So it's just been a great partnership. And now, and she's a musician. And so I just love her. So whenever I do a series, I put her music in my series. So it's a great partnership. Oh, so you want to borrow great. her? You can borrow her. It's so great. No, I want my own Carmen. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, so are you not having? Are you not having dinner tonight? I'm worried about you. It's already. Oh, well, you know what? I, I, you're so sweet. I eat. Um, I was getting a little like it was a little hard to still be as fresh minded, uh, probably after the second interview, but it's all just friends. So like, it's oh. just fun to connect and talk. I feel like I've been at a, a dinner party for a while, but I, I'm actually an early eater. I eat. Oh, um, I'm like a super healthy eater. And then I eat like really early, like an old person. What did you eat today? Well, like. Um, today for brekkie, I had, um, I always have like oatmeal with frozen fruit and nice. a green juice, which is like spinach, oh, nice. spinach and protein powder and a date and a frozen banana. And then, um, for lunch I do, what did I do? Lunch I did kale chips and, nice. and, a protein, like a healthy protein bar situation and a rice cake and and a rice cake jesus and then uh oh i just got a new connection on raya as we're talking oh, oh did you? things are looking up for the pandemic <laughs> and i'm pretty much using i put this on twitter the other day but i'm pretty much using raya exclusively to book guests on my podcast oh my. <laughs> at this point i love that um, and then dinner, I just ordered floor vegan, floor a vegan, because yes. I'm trying to keep the restaurants in biz. That's right wonderful now. that you're doing that, yeah. But I had that, like, so early, like, at three. Anyway, sorry for that boring food diversion. No, I just want to make sure that you're eating. I'm, I'm Italian. I have to make sure everyone's eating. That's so Part sweet. of my heritage. So, um, okay, so why don't we, okay, what, how has that informed your creative process? Basically, you said that just advocating for yourself you you turned it around you were like I'm gonna be I'm not gonna let this me too movement stop you know me too moment stop my creative process I'm gonna dive into it wholeheartedly and be even kinder to myself how did I end up just doing that yeah uh-oh hi oh, a feeling 
of letting go and feeling like just safe. Because I think when you do stand up, there's nothing scarier than being on stage with your entire, your whole focus is to make people laugh. And if you get on stage and it's silent and nobody laughs, then it's like, oh my God, I did not do the one thing I'm supposed to do. But you don't die from that. It doesn't, you don't, it doesn't kill you. you and if you're brave enough to go back up and do this, like I think some people don't realize like how difficult stand-up is. Like people see you do stand-up. Like I host on uh, the first Wednesdays every month at the improv um, for the, you know, we did that show together. I know, it was like, so fun, Bridget. Oh, and yeah, you were so, amazing. You were absolutely you. amazing. Thank you. You're such a good host. Okay, go ahead. Oh, thank you. But, you know, I think people go, oh, I want to do that. It's easy. And they don't realize that it's actually not easy. So that kind of, you know, get on stage. I was doing numerous shows a night. I was doing every open mic when I first started. So after seven months of doing stand-up, you know, five shows a night or three to five shows a night every single day of the week, I was able to quit my job. I was working for a producer at the time and be able to be a stand-up full-time because I dedicated, I was focused. And so knowing that, like, if you do bad art or if you make a mistake, it's not going to kill you was very freeing. And so it was just kind of like letting myself be. Like, letting myself try to paint. Like, maybe I can't paint. Oh, okay. Well, this is the, I mean, anybody could say I'm not a good painter. Okay, that's fine. I don't care. I'm not trying to be the best painter or, or be in the Louvre or be, you know, it's just like movies. Like, you can write, write and make a movie, and it doesn't have to be up for an Academy Award. Because let's be honest, a lot of times you watch the Academy Awards, and you're like, I don't even like that movie. Or somebody wins an award, and I, I, why do they win it? You know, like, I don't even understand that kind of art. It's all subjective anyway. So just keep going. So it was very freeing. I just, I just had this clarity moment where I was like, why am I going to limit myself? I love that. But you've also, the whole time I've known you, you're always so driven and you're very prolific, and but you're driven, and you're always doing all these projects. Like, how? Where do you get your drive? Have you always been that way? Um, I, I you know what it is? I think I was a, I was a heavy set kid growing up, so I did not, I did not have friends, and so I just kind of grew a really big imagination, and so I've always kind of been moving and doing things constantly because I, I didn't really have anybody to interact with it sounds weird to say but um so I just kind of had my own imagination and it's just been I've been doing numerous projects ever since even when I was in high school I was directing theater projects at the, the community center so I just kind of always kept busy and I like made costumes for the I, I did I was the theater director for um the junior youth theater in my local town of Windsor Connecticut so it was like 50 students from age eight to 13 that I had to make a musical every summer. And it was like, I, what training did I have to do that? Like I, I didn't have training to do that. I just did it. I just did it for two, two years. And when I was in the program, when I was a kid, it was like, everybody was like, there were three leads and everybody else was like a townsperson and nobody had lines and whatever. And I remember when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was have a name in the program and a line. So I made sure when I directed it, for these 50 kids, I gave everybody a name and everybody a line. That's all they wanted, but that was enough to make them feel seen. You know what I'm saying? So I really went out of my way to make sure that the 50 kids that I was watching, age 8 to 13, weren't just like there for free childcare. They were there and they were being acknowledged for being a performer. How? What kind of performer do you want to be? Oh, you want to be a dancer? So I think also, like you know this, because we do a, a women's collective group, I like to work with other people, and if something I can do to help other people, I'm always going to help them because I believe this is enough to go around. You know, so if you're thriving, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to thriving. 
let me be her biggest cheerleader versus, oh my God, we'll just get this and I don't have this. I'm going to be jealous. Like what? That doesn't make any sense to me. But Bridget, how did you become such a good person? Were you taught that? <laughs> how did you? Because like how, you know, some people are, are so jealous and stuff. And I think it's, it's natural and it's human, but it's, it does come from a broken place of like, there's not enough for me, you know, so I need well, to. Well, jealousy is a really good map because if, if you're jealous that somebody has something that you want, then now you know you want it. And you didn't know that you wanted it before. So, okay, you want it. So how do I get it? Because sometimes if somebody gets something, you go, oh, I want that. And it's like you might have not even thought of that as an option before, but now you know somebody who has that. And if with someone you know that has that or someone that you think is on your level or maybe not even as talented and they have it, then why can't you have it? So I just look at it as a roadmap. I feel the same, and I also am always happy. <laughs> yeah. Chunky. I'm always happy, like, when people, you know, get something cool because I go, uh, oh, you can have something like that? That's awesome. Yeah. Because I think that we just don't know all the options that we have, you know. And, and it's like everything nowadays, like, growing up, we did not have the Internet. And it's like my show started because of the Internet. Like, that's how I started my career. That didn't even exist when I was a kid. So when you and I have our big moment of something big happens, it could be on some platform that doesn't even exist yet. So why be worried now when it doesn't exist yet? So what's your, like, what's your creative process? Like when you're, when you're, what, like, what are you doing now? Are you making new stuff besides painting? Oh, your first one, your cat is so beautiful. <laughs> uh, I am writing. I have a, a pitch meeting this week for a project that I wrote. Um, it's a drama series. You're doing so a I Zoom pitch? Always, what'd you say? Are you doing a Zoom pitch? I'm going to do a Zoom pitch. I've done a phone call pitch since the quarantine, uh, but now I'll be doing a Zoom pitch, which I'm excited about. Hopefully, I have a good connection. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, I've been painting. Um, there's a series I started doing with Aaron Foley called Is It Over Yet? And just try to make sure they laugh for 15 minutes during the quarantine. That's, so that's fun. On, that's on YouTube. So nobody has to pay any money, subscribe to anything. This is on YouTube. Uh, we've got three episodes up. The next one goes up on Wednesday. You can get it on my Instagram. Um, and then I've been writing. And there's a project that I was supposed to be shooting currently, but of course everything shifted. And I'm trying to figure out if I can shoot it myself in my home, which is not what I was going to do. I was going to do it in the stage. But now I'm thinking maybe I'll scale it back and shoot it at home. Well, that all sounds great. Oh, thanks. What is your big, like, um, what is your big, like, what, like, how, how often do you write each day? Is it like you wake up and write for like an hour? What's your process? I wish that is definitely not my process. And especially if you know you're supposed to write, then you really can't write. So I do two days. I do two days. And what I do is knowing I have a, a, a week, writing for me comes when it comes. Stand up happens all the time because I'm always just being ridiculous. And then my wife's like, that's funny. Let's write this down. Let's keep this in mind. And so stand up is always like kind of a daily thing where you're like, leave the concepts and, you know, but writing, I will just go, okay, let's see what happens this week. And then there'll be a day that I want to write. So I don't have to go, I have to write on Tuesday because I might not want to write on Tuesday. And I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of times you just have to write, especially if you're, if you're staffed on a show, you have to write. So it's a good, it's a good process to be in. But luckily enough, I've only had to do my own projects. 
So I've been able to write at my leisure. And so I just, as long as I write twice a week, I'm happy with myself. Okay, Bridget, how did you always know that you wanted to have your own series? Was that like the goal that you set out for or did that just end up happening? I think it was always the goal ever since I was four years old watching Carol Burnett. I was a big Carol Burnett, like super fan, just loved her. And one of my favorite things about her sketch show was at the end when she came down and talked to the audience and she, you know, and it wasn't necessarily that she was doing stand-up, she was doing stand-up, she was just being her charming, wonderful self. And I was like, I love that she's being herself and connecting with people. And that's kind of what I do with my regular day job. I'm, you know, warm up on a bunch of different talk shows, game shows, late night shows. And I have these audiences of 300 people and it's nice because I get to know people. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So there, did I lose you? Oh, sorry, I was just plugging in my phone and I think it stopped for a second. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, so it's just, um, I, yeah, I guess that was always a goal, but Carol Burnett was definitely um, the, the guiding light for me. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because when you hosted the improv show that was the sold out show that we did, um, you're, you're just so good at hosting. Not everyone is good oh, at that. Thank you. you. I do a lot of crowd work. Crowd work is like my specialty when I'm hosting, you know, so I have jokes, but for me, the best stand up is like jazz. It's you're going to go, if you're going to go sit in a live show, I don't want to see someone on stage that doesn't need the audience. I want to feel like I exist in that room. So if somebody knocks something over and there's a big crash, I want the person to acknowledge it, you know, or like if someone's doing something in the front row, I, I want to play up them. that way. I feel like it's, it's really happening in that way. Every performance is a new and live show that no one else has seen before. You're having a special exclusive experience because you know, as, as comics, we write new jokes all the time, but sometimes you don't always have full new sets. And you, how do you get your audience to come out and see you for all these shows? Well, it's like if you're connecting and being in the moment and even getting on stage, you're like, I had a crappy day. I'm still going to tell my jokes, but I'm going to, whatever, acknowledge the crappy day I had and connect with someone that might have had a crappy day too. For me, that just makes that moment in that room special. That's never happened before. Yeah, and you, okay, so you've created two original web uh, TV series that you've starred in, and you've produced seven of your own stand-up specials, is that correct? Five, five, I was like, I've done seven, now I've done five. Okay, five five one-hour comedy Uh, specials? No, the first two were, the first first three were half hours and the other two were out. No, the first, the first two were half hours. The other three are hours. That's amazing. And you didn't repeat any material in the special. That is completely amazing. So like after you shoot your special, do you just consider that material burned? I can still use it if I'm doing a live show, if it's relevant. Like if I'm doing a gay pride show, I will do some jokes that I did at a comedy special that was specifically geared towards a gay show because I always wanted to be relevant and you know, like when I used to tour, if I, if I was in a certain city, like I did this show with this amazing comic named Daniel Leary, who's now like the head honcho at Ellen or whatever digital, he's won like 9,000 Emmys. And so I was on tour and I took him as my opening act and I was like, I was spending all day writing jokes about uh, Gainesville, Florida. And he was just laughing at me like, why, what are you doing? Just do your set. And I was like, well, no, because we're in Gainesville. These are college students and I have to do this. I, I wrote a whole song about the Gainesville campus. And he was like, you're crazy. But I was like, that was one of the highlights because everyone in the was like, this, I can never use that again. I can never do, do that 
ever again, but it wouldn't be relevant. But in that moment, I was catering it to that audience. So I, I like to do that. Like, you know, I've done a lot of stand up and people have come up to me and ask me to do their weddings. So I've performed at people's weddings before, which is like weird. Like I performed at a hotel room for a wedding. It was like 20 people sitting on a couch. We were in like the penthouse. And I was like, no microphone. I was like, how's everyone doing? You know, so it's just like, how do I, I can't just tell jokes that aren't relevant to them. I have to, you know, I have to play with them because they, they specifically hired me to, to perform for them. Yeah. So like when you're, so when you're like pitching shows now, like now, is it easier to pitch shows now that you've sold to sold and made and starred in two of your own? Or is it still like a sense of like, it's different. So the things that I have sold um, were shows that I was hosting. The ones I'm doing now are scripted series that um, are dramatic series. They're not even comedy series. They're, so, they're dramedy. They're like dark comedies. And so it's, it's very like off brand or like the brand adjacent. But um, what's great is when I when people read my script, they won't know that I'm a stand-up comic. They won't know that I've done hosting or whatever. But when I get on a call with them or pitch to them and they find out that I'm a comic and that I've or I've um, been a host, that's something that really brings people in. And so I feel like uh, it's a benefit for me, especially when I'm pitching because as a performer, as you know, you know, you just automatically know how to connect with people because that's what you do for a living. So it's been great, but it's not easier selling it because at the end of the day, they're going to buy what they want to buy. And then whoever is the person saying yes, they have their own point of view. Like I pitched this show that I'm pitching this week to three other people and they were like, great, thanks very much. Bye. And that was it. And then there's this person that I'm meeting with that's, this is a, this is a, another avenue. And so all it takes is one person to say yes, you know? And so you never know, you know, you just, you got to keep moving. Yeah. And like when you're pitching these shows, like, are you, do you write out like a one sheet and the pilot? Or are you just like going with a one sheet and like your, your personal charming story or what do you do? So I can send you what I have. I have like the Warner Brothers basic one sheet for a comedy template. But what I've been doing lately is these hour like dramas. And so it's, a, it's, it's bigger. And because streaming is such a big thing now, people are launching their entire season ones. They don't want to just see the breakdown of the season. They want to see season one, two, and three. So you're telling uh, one page could just be the story because I want to know why you relate to the story, why this is why you're the only person that can tell the story, why this is your point of view, and then you go into the breakdown of all your characters, and then you go into the tones and what you compare it to, and then like the project that I'm doing now has some Fleabag in it, has some Get Out in it, has some Eyes Wide Shut in it. It's, very, it's like it's a horror series, which is funny because I keep saying to my wife. I didn't realize it was a horror series, and she's like, "It's about a serial killer," and I was like, "Oh yeah," but that's not my perspective. With it, it's, just, it's just so um, it, the the one that I'm going uh, shopping right now. My pitch is a nine page pitch. So you were thinking of it more like a fish out of water than a serial killer. <laughs> just kidding. Well, no, it really is a serial killer. I just didn't realize that I have been writing a horror series because uh, everything else that I've written, I've written documentary, I've written a romantic drama series, I've written uh, I've written a, a romantic comedy uh, movie that was out that's on telefilms all these exist on telefilms which is like the lesbian netflix um but this is this is totally this is totally different and so i never realized that it was horror until i had been told on numerous phone calls when did you i love this when did you start you know when did you fall in love with horror and i was like i didn't realize it was horror but it is did you see unbelievable 
on Netflix. It's so good. No, that's the one about a woman that's been like raped, right? It's about a serial rapist. I'm not gonna see that. I, I heard it was wonderful, but that seems so It's upsetting. wonderful. I also thought it would be too disturbing for me. However, it's just disturbing in the way that like true detective was. Yeah. Which is for me was I don't know. The the story I thought was um it was just it was really well done. It's written, produced, directed by women, starring yeah. women, like phenomenal performances. It's like based on a I think it is a true it's a true story. Um anyway. That's what I was gonna say. It's like it's if anybody that's had trauma or that's happened to them, it's it's a little too triggering. Yeah. You know, so it's like yeah. I try to not watch movies that have rape in them yeah. or strippers or prostitutes, which is honestly really hard to find because one of the most beloved romantic movies is Pretty Woman. It's like, but she's a prostitute. Yeah. It's just random randomly. We just saw this movie. I won't say exactly what it is so that in case anyone hasn't seen it, but there's this movie that I was so excited to see with Helen Marin, and it was really kind of like snappy and well-written. And then we get to the end and this is rape backstory. And I was like, well, why? Why does every woman have to have a rape story? It's not, it doesn't happen. It absolutely happens. But it'd be nice to see a woman that doesn't have to go through that. You know, like like men have bad days too. Why can't we just have bad days? Why is it the focus around our sexuality and 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 power and domination and, and rape? So I, there's no rape in my series. That's nice. I like a no rape series. <laughs> That's my one rule: no rape, no, no rape. Um, you know, a good thing, a, a good tip too, when you're out there pitching. Um, by the way, you guys can write in your questions for Bridget. We have her only for a limited time. Um, Melinda has to eat some food. I'm worried about you. I already ate at like three p. My my three p.m. old lady woman dinner. <laughs> I, I eat at three. My friend, I did the the this friend uh, who was on my movie with me last year. She does intermittent fasting, so she oh, yeah. does that thing where you you eat early intentionally, so you have a long time. And I was like, oh, I just do that like organically every day because I yeah, eat yeah. dinner at three. You are um, so skinny. That's probably why. No. Nah. <laughs> I'm. Uh, <laughs> um, but when a good thing, like when you're, when you're, when you're out there pitching and you're auditioning and stuff, um, a good thing that I like to do is just walk right in and go, how much does this pay? <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Try it. Cause it kind of just sets it up right away. Like I'm a woman who gets paid. Oh my God. That's can, amazing. Can you imagine? <laughs> Just guys, let's the cut the crap. They we walk in, they're like, Did you have any questions about the script? I did. What is this fucking pay? <laughs> and how soon do I get the check? <laughs> That's the name of your production company. You will pay me productions. You will pay me bitch productions. Beyond. Um, so how did you come back from, like, how do people come back from this, these, the Me Too move, moments? Like, what do you, we're seeing so much progress with the movement and people have been convicted now and prosecuted and changes have been implemented yeah. and there's been so much progress, but how do people there come back from that been, trauma? But of course, there's, there's just never enough. And, you know, it depending, everybody's different. And I know for me, 
things happen and I get re-triggered. And I, like I noticed when the person that's in office right now got elected, I started eating and I like obsessively eating and I gained a bunch of weight. And then I realized that was a weight for me to hide because I'm someone that has like gained and lost 70 pounds different times. I gained and lose. Really? Wow, Bridget. That's amazing. I lost 40 pounds this year, but now we've been in quarantine and I have no idea what I weigh and I've been eating a lot of bagels and I, I've been eating so much. So I might get it back, but that's just life. I'm just someone that fluctuates. Yeah. Turn your phone down. Like, you know, things sound like they get better or they seem like they get better, but it's all just, you know, it's just day by day. And hopefully more people that do bad things will be prosecuted for the bad things they do. Well, it's just a really extraordinary time of people using their voices and so much healing going on. A lot of times the healing, you know, doesn't happen until people start just, you know, that they're, I mean, the only way out is through. Somebody said that. Um, It's hard. It's so hard. I know that is true. And there's another thing. There's another thing uh, that I had a therapist tell me one time, which is about forgiveness versus acceptance. Mm. So if there's someone in your life, let's say like a family member that, that disappoints you constantly rather than just keep forgiving them for their behavior, which is always going to keep occurring. You have to accept that they're just going to be this person and not be the person that you want them to be or envision one day they'll be accept them as they are. And then you don't have to forgive them because they won't be disappointing you anymore. That's exactly right. Um, you know, there's so much pain in just expecting people to be, what you need instead of accepting that they are limited and that's never going to happen. And once you can accept uh, what is in front of you, um, you can take those proper precautions to protect yourself. And, you know, I, I can say I have a good relationship with a lot of people who I previously didn't family members Um, not a lot, but family members, not because, um, anything really changed except me. And I was able to let certain people off the hook and go, I can't, I just can't be mad anymore. And I, I, do you love doing warm up? I do. I definitely love aspects of warm up. Um, I love that I get to connect with people that are so excited to be there. I like doing warm up when there's an audience that loves the show that they're attending. I don't love doing warm up when it's a paid audience that doesn't like the show because it just makes it more difficult because they're not usually happy. But when it's an audience that's appreciative and cares about the show and they're excited to be there, it's so it's just like it's like Disneyland every day. Everyone's coming to see Mickey and Minnie. Everyone's so excited. How did you get into warm up? It was kind of by accident because I, I was a stand-up, but I wasn't a warm-up. And it's so different because stand-up, you can be political. You can, be, you can talk about sex. You can swear. And that's I was kind of a dirty comic when I first started. Really? Um, oh, oh, yeah. What were you talking very, about? I was just talking. I was very, I'm very out. My sister, I'm gay. My sister's queer. Like, I'm very proud of mm-hmm. being gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just talking about being gay, and I was tell fisting jokes and jokes about coming out to my family and things that were kind of very geared towards uh, a queer female audience because that that was the representation I never really saw. You know, we have Ellen, but she's kind of transcended past that and sometimes she doesn't even touch on being gay. But when she was at her prime, I mean, there's 
you do know lesbian comics, Wanda Sykes, you do know lesbian comics, but they're not as the majority like straight male comics. It's like thousands of them, you know? Um, so I was just all about being a gay comic. And what happened was a friend of mine was stage managing a show and he called me and goes, can you come and do a warm up right now on this show called The Jeff Probst Show? And he's the guy that hosts Survivor. I don't know if you've seen Survivor. Uh, so he had a talk show. And um, so apparently the warm up comic had a meltdown and they needed someone immediately. So I drove to the stage and I had never done warm up and my jokes were too dirty to tell. So I just started playing with the audience and dancing with the audience and just talking to everybody. So I was just doing crowd work. And at the end of the show, Jeff and his mom came up to me and asked me if I wanted to do this season. And so I ended up doing the full season. And when that show got canceled, the producers went over to the Queen Latifah show and they called me in to audition for that show. So it was me and a bunch of male comics and they ended up picking me and then I ended up being her sidekick. And then when that show ended, I went over to Chelsea on Netflix and then I did the reel and I've done a bunch of game shows and talk shows. And it's just kind of scared from that. But that there was a moment when my friend Pete asked me to do it where I was like, Oh my God, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And at the same time, it's like, well, what if, what if I said no, like that has transformed my career. Yeah. And what a cool gig. It seems like a cool regular gig that you really only have to be there like a few hours of the day, right? It's the one I work on now, The Real, is my regular show. It's like a school teacher show. So I go in, it's uh, September to May. It is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the hours are 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. Oh my God. Like, that's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, why did the other warm up person have a meltdown? I don't know. Apparently, this is what I heard. I don't know who this person was. But I heard that they told an audience, a section of the audience, that they were the ugly section. Oh. And so then they fired that person. I don't know who it is. I know a lot of warm-up now, now, so I wonder if I could figure out who it was. But I'm very happy that I had a meltdown, though. It really worked well for me. That's because then I get, to, I get to put it under SAG, you know, because all these shows are, are SAG shows. They're all union shows. And so then I get health insurance from me and my wife. It's been a dream. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, they, they were saying a thing about SAG was not going to make people pay their April premiums on healthcare, but then they, they, they charge us 50%. Did you get charged? I got, I got charged the full amount. Really? When did you pay though? Uh, April one. Oh, I, when I paid, oh, you know why I paid three days. I paid April 3rd. And on their website, when I went to process my payment, it came, it said discount and it, they discounted it in half. So you can, you can get half refund. You can, I think they launched it. I think they launched it. Yeah. There was a reason why I delayed, but it doesn't matter. But yeah, I think you can get your money back on it. I have to get 50%. I made a note of it. Thank you, you Bridget. You um, this has been so fun connecting with you and, and learning about your creative process and how you processed that big trauma and like turned it into your total career. So inspiring. Thanks. And I have to say one more time, I've been watching since five o'clock and everybody had on and had great stories and they're so relatable. And it's just like, everyone is going to have a different story. And that's why we're interesting people is because we're all different and embrace the fact that we're different. Yeah, totally. Oh, here's a question. When did you move to LA? Oh, I moved in 2003. I graduated from college in New York, went to New York University, and I graduated in 2001. And then when September 11th happened, everything changed. And so people weren't coming out to see theater in Soho, downtown theater, $35 to watch a revision of Street Power and Desire. They wanted to sit home and watch 
the news with their families because everyone was scared we were going to die. It was a very scary time. You know, we're going through a time like this too. And so I stayed there for two more years and then I moved across country because I wanted to just see if there was something new I could try and I ended up just loving it out here. And I hate being cold. It's so cold on the East Coast. By the way, here's a question. What would be your advice for millennials getting into the biz of singing and acting as far as getting a talent agent? Don't worry about getting an agent. Just start working. Just start working. An agent will come because if you get an agent before you're ready, then it's, it's, I know when I first started, my whole thing was like, if I have an agent, everything will work out. And that's not what happened. I finally, I, my whole goal was to get an agent. I got an agent and my agent did not know how to market me because it was one of those things where like, I didn't have enough of one thing or something else. And so they didn't know how to market me. So they didn't do anything with me for years. And then I just kind of sat back waiting for them to do something. So we as performers can find our own auditions, collaborate. If you do stand up, do stand up, meet people that are doing stand up. A lot of stand ups are writing projects, meet writers, directors. Don't just limit your friend group to just performers, although performers are wonderful too. But just start writing your own content now. I mean, you could be on TikTok and do something funny for 15 seconds, and people now get paid a lot of money to do that. There's YouTube, there's, you know, there's Vimeo, there's, there's all these different sites. Like just start creating your own stuff and figure out what you like. And if you desperately, your goal is like, you've done everything else, you're ready for an agent, then what you should do is start figuring out your own package, figure out who you want to emulate your career life. And don't just pick like Emma Stone, like all the big A-listers, pick people that are like working in the roles that you want to work and then find out who represents them and then find out if they're looking for people. If that's your goal, you need that agent, then why not reach out to them? What do they say? They say no, then you don't work with them, you work with somebody else. Good question. What's your TikTok like schedule? You just wake up and TikTok every day? Or? No, I'm very new. And the only reason I'm TikToking is because my sister, who's a PR person, insisted I made it. I have like nine videos up. And it's literally just me torturing my pets or me dancing. It's nothing. <laughs> but why not? Just do it, you know? I tried to do a TikTok this week, and I think it was a fail. Um, it's hard. I, I've had trouble figuring it out. There's all these uh, these instructional videos. Yeah, like how do you get that song? Uh, I'll I'll have to Google it later. Yeah, but I, I, I what I end up doing is I pick the songs first, and I put them in my favorites, and then if I pick use the song, then I shoot the video. Oh hi! I see other people I know. Hi hi hi! Yes. Okay, I'm gonna call you about that and like ten okay, other we'll ten about. other things. Let's go to sleepy time. We've been on here since 5 p.m., Bridget and I. So we got to go to nighty night sleepy time. Thank you for doing this, Melinda. You're amazing. I'm applauding you. Thank you, Bridget. I love you long time. And um, thank you so much for doing this. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Thanks Bye, for guys. tuning Good in. Night. Good night. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it. Um, I'd appreciate it if you could share it with someone else who could also enjoy or benefit from it um, by either sending the link or sharing it on your socials, tweeting about it, Facebooking it, Instagramming it, TikToking it, whatever you kids do. Also, um, how about being a sponsor? You can sponsor this podcast for only like $5 a month whatever amount you want to um, give toward its imminent success. 
um, just click on anchor subscribe button and um, be a part of our team. Thanks so much for your support. We can't do it without you. um, And we love you very much. Bye.